Hey, Dunker Punks. Thank you so much for tuning in for this latest episode of the show. We have reached the end of our latest season and how glad we are that we've had you to join us along the way. To cap off this season, we're joined by Annalisa Gross for a delightful and touching conversation featuring three generations of Dunker Punks living their faith in draft resistance and nursing and teaching, foster parenting, firefighting, social working, stocking shelves, and serving coffee. Annalisa introduces us to Sam Farley, along with Carla Kilgore, Craig Smith, and Evan Bill Kilgore, members along with Annalisa of the Beacon Heights Church of the Brethren in Fort Wayne, Indiana. Beacon Heights, which is one of the congregational sponsors for the podcast, sets the scene for a family building a Church of the Brethren identity over the generations, forming a sense of community and belonging and purpose along the way. With that, I hand you over to Annalisa. This is Annalisa Gross, and I am part of the Beacon Heights Church of the Brethren, which is how I know the people that I'm sitting with this evening. And first, I'd like to introduce Sam Farley, who's a Manchester University grad and who grew up as part of the Beacon Heights community. And Sam, who else do we have with us in the room this evening? Well, we have my mom, Carla Kilgore, um, my dad, Craig Smith, my grandma, Ev Kilgore, and my grandpa, Bill Kilgore. Can you tell a story about a time that it mattered to you that you're part of a faith community? I think it was really important for me to be part of the community when I was... um, 10, I, I was in the foster care until I was 10, the foster care system. And so when I was 10 and Carla and Craig adopted me, I think them having a faith community to put me into um, was really helpful for the support of bringing my mental health back to where it needed to be so that I could graduate college um, and be at least somewhat successful. People at Beacon Heights were very nurturing of Samantha when she came to live with us. She had a bear that she took to and brought. Not a real bear. Um, It was not a real bear. It was a stuffed bear, but almost her size, Mm -hmm. that came to church with her for a long time. And everyone welcomed Barry and was kind to Barry, talked with Barry, was friendly, Samantha and Barry together, and that was one example of, I think, a way that people were welcoming and encouraging. Mm -hmm. (laughs) I remember they would also often listen to me as I, um, well, I would go up to people, so I'm told, and I would say something like, did you know that bees can fly underwater? And they would be like, I'm not sure if that's true. (laughs) And then I would say, but do you know? And then I would run away. And uh, the church community has let me know they remember these times fondly. (laughs) The place where you're known. Yes. Very much. (laughs) And when she went into her year of BBS, I think... A lot of people always ask about her and were excited that she was doing that and mm-hmm. kept track. Having some contact with the people back here made that year a little easier um, since I was away from home and 
My BVS journey was a little bit more difficult than most. I think the project has been delisted since I've been at that project, but... Well, one thing, when you go to a new community, that's always a nice time to be able to um, find a group of people that have some of the same thoughts that you do. So when we um, when we came to Fort Wayne, that was one of the first things we wanted to do, to find a place that we could feel comfortable and, and uh, share some of the same values. Mm-hmm. When I was trying to figure out what to do um, for my work in life, I that kind of made me reflect on what was important. And I think looking back about growing up at a church that had the values that I that kind of made me who I was, kind of helped me figure out where I might be able to contribute. So. I didn't necessarily notice it at the moment, but when I looked back over the years, I thought, oh, well, I kind of absorbed a whole bunch of things here that I hadn't even known I was taking in. And I think, like, a couple times when a a war has started or something like that, it's been helpful to have that community that that is upset about what's going on and to be able to have a get together or to do something to reflect on those kinds of things. And also in times of grief, it's good to have those people around you, Mm -hmm. even though sometimes you kind of pull away when you are going through grief. Um, It's nice to know that somebody's thinking. Yeah, when we're grieving, we have such limited energy to reach out to people. And so if there's these built-in people who expect or already have that relationship we can fall into it more easily one of the times i did feel the most connected to people was after johnny died a group of church of the brethren people in california got together at someone's house and um they sat with me and we told stories about Johnny together, and um, somehow it was just this quiet time, almost like a Quaker worship service where people just sat quietly and then said something, and then we sang a couple songs, and it just felt like one of the most healing moments, Um, and I think having people around who are willing to sit with you and you know, love people together and then, um, you know, be caring of one another. Those kinds of moments does build a sense of love and connection and thinking about what matters. And so I feel moments not exactly like that, but sometimes in church when somebody is sharing about a trip to um, the border to learn about immigration and that they tried to feed, you know, traveled to Mexico with their coolers and fed people and saw things that people are going through and were there. You know, those are kind of moments when you can 
feel connected to other people and their experiences. And so those are some of the things that feel the most important to me about church, I guess. Think of an age or stage of life when it felt like church was just a sweet spot. For me, that would have to be right between the end of middle school and the beginning of high school. Um, We had Elizabeth Sutton as our youth leader at the time, and she was very, very good about not pushing us too far into the church and allowing us to be ourselves within the church, which was very helpful for me as, um, and the, when I was in the foster system, they were very adamant that we had to go to church and they told us lots and lots of things about how church was supposed to be and how you were supposed to act at church and how you were supposed to act if you wanted to get into heaven. And having um, Elizabeth uh, as our youth leader, she had a less restrictive view on what we needed to be to be part of the church. And I remember at the time there was a, a mostly my age large youth group. So I had a lot of friends who I look forward to seeing every week. And we started this thing, we called it the Dunker Punk Cafe, It was a sort of little volunteer cafe that we put up in the main area right in front of the chapel. And uh, as people would come in, we would serve them coffee. And we thought we were so fancy, we'd put whipped cream and, like, cherries on the coffee. And then they would donate, and we would use the donations to buy more coffee. And then we'd take the rest of the donations, and we'd pick a charity to donate it to. And it was a lot of fun and a very engaging time in the church. You know, one thing, I, I, I was a youth advisor then, and one yeah. thing I noticed about that cafe that surprised me was the youth who were very um, uh, sort of outgoing, but uh, what's what I'm looking for, just they, I, I hate these word cool kids, but that's where my, that's what we <laughs> use, yeah. were really not great at it. And the the your the kids that are a little quirkier and a little um, a little more awkward were great. Like me. <laughs> yeah, and you and there's several <laughs> others that just really shined in that cafe. It yeah. was really impressive. Yeah, that's awesome. I I'm really intrigued by that. Do you have any theories? Yeah, I think that. Um, a lot, your uh, <clears throat> your popular um, high schoolers put a lot of energy in that image. Mm. They don't want to shake it, and so anything that maybe might not be cool, they don't want to be the first to do it. Mm-hmm. But the more awkward kids that they see things that they think are cool and they want to be part of it, yeah. so they just jump in and do it. Yeah. And so that was my theory. But yeah, it's, that, those are the people you can rely on to be there on Sunday and to not to actually do things because some of some of the kids would just stand in a corner, mm-hmm. and uh, that wasn't the that wasn't what I saw. It was neat. It was neat to see that happen. I remember I also got to sort of take kind of a leadership role with the youth group um, because of circumstance and having an older sibling in the group. 
I delayed my movement from the middle school youth to the high school youth by a year. Um, and so I was with a younger, a year younger group of people, and I think that helped me feel more confident to sort of be in charge. And, um, it was, it was a lot of fun because I felt like I had a hand in pulling people into the church too. Mm. Being like, hey, Olive, you're gonna be here this Sunday? You'd better be here. I expect you to be here. If you're not here, I'm gonna be really sad. Yeah. And then I went to Brethren Volunteer Service and I came back and everyone went to college or something, I guess. Yeah, that it's the end of an era. And now you have an, a new stage of life and a new way of being connected, which it can't depend on your peer group anymore. Yeah, it's very sad. Well, maybe it can, because I was thinking, for me, a time that the church was really important was when I was a young adult with kids, and um, I got a lot of support from the other people in that, that were, like, going through the same problems with their kids and -hmm. and stuff, so um, we had a group that really enjoyed each other, and sometimes we talked about our kids, and sometimes we just got away, and so Mm -hmm. that was a nice thing. Craig, I know you didn't grow up going to a Church of the Brethren. I did not. I grew up in a different, yeah, a more structured, um, a faith tradition more built on um, on uh, old, very old <laughs> um, habits, I guess. So, yeah. So, no, I didn't. I uh, actually um, moved here from Illinois and... Uh, was no longer going to my old um, church and wanted to find something new and couldn't find anything and actually ended up talking with, uh, I was working at Manchester College and ended up talking with Dave McFadden and he he suggested Beacon Heights to me. And, and I, you know, I came in, I came a couple times and I really liked it. It's a, a lot of really good people in the church and, and I think, you know, I, uh, like Ed said, I, during the Gulf War, or second Gulf War, gosh, I, uh, the, the George W. Bush one, um, and to have a group of people that are like, yeah, this is bad. Mm-hmm. This is not good, you know, and, and hearing, being able to hear that once a week and having six other days of the week, hearing other people just kind of cheer it on, you know, it was really, it was really good. We're going to be part of that. Mm-hmm. When we moved to Fort Wayne, we were glad to find Beacon Heights because it really, really fit well with our values, and and uh, we were uh, we got a lot of encouragement, and, and people were friendly, and so it was it was good at that stage. You know, we'd been at Manchester and had a support group there, but it really worked well at Beacon Heights here. The kinds of things that you have all been talking about make me think that being part of church for us has made us more human. That's what I value about it for sure. Mm -hmm. Feeling those connections to other people and... um, both other people nearby and other people we don't know or don't um, 
but remembering the humanity of everyone. Yeah. My dad spent 18 months in prison because he wouldn't carry his draft card during the Vietnam War. And he always talked about that very much as part of growing up Church of the Brethren. And so I just wonder for you if you might be willing to tell us a little bit about your grandpa's story. I'm asking you intentionally instead of asking Bill because I'm curious what it was like to be the granddaughter of somebody who it was important for your grandpa to have a conscientious decision about war. That is a really weird question. I don't really think about that so much. It's more of Grandpa, the guy who teaches me math and almost makes me fall asleep every once in a while talking about math. (laughs) 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 Um, Who also works at Acres and does a lot of interesting stuff in the Mm -hmm. community. But I've never really thought about... I feel like I should have thought about that by this point in my life, how that you guys were once, like, in that era, that was a thing. Huh. So it feels pretty distant to you to think about having to be in a war or make those kinds of decisions? Yeah, the, the draft card is, yeah, it's just very distant. I probably, I wouldn't support it if it happened now. No, but, I don't know, I just hadn't mm-hmm. thought about it. I can talk about it, actually, a little more, um, not necessarily in Bill's case, but just from my perspective and how I've, my thinking has changed being part of the Church of the Brethren, because I can never say I was, like, um, pro-military conflict, but I was certainly pro-military, and thought that, well, they must have very good reasons for doing what they're doing. So I was in college when they had the first Gulf War, and I was actually in high school during the invasions of invasion of Panama and earlier the invasion of Granada. And so there's always, there's always an invasion, a small one, a small uh, one, and he's like, oh, you know, Granada, there's a there's a good reason to be there. There's a good reason to be in Panama. There's a good reason to be in the Middle East. And then being part of the church and just being more aware of, well, what is what is that good reason? You know, and there's people involved. There's millions of people involved. And there's children and civilians. And when we leave, they don't have, we bombed all their infrastructure. They don't have clean water. And that's just things you don't think about unless you're in this group. Or a group like this group. You know, and so I'm much more, much, much more aware of what our country's actions, what happens afterwards and during, and just how destructive it is and how much better it would be if we found just another better way. I didn't grow up Church of the Brethren either. It wasn't until I was a Manchester College student when it was college. Uh, that I was exposed to the Church of the Brethren, started attending, actually. And my roommate, my first year in Manchester, uh, was deciding about CO status, conscious subjector, and decided he would be that. And I didn't know what that was. 
because I hadn't grown up with that idea. And I was actually a transfer student. I was a junior coming in. But, and I'd already signed, registered for the draft earlier, but was deferred because I was a student. But I started thinking about what my roommate was uh, dealing with and asked, you know, why, why do you think this way? Because I hadn't been exposed to the Church of the Brethren before. And, and uh, just this whole thinking process. And uh, So I went through a lot of thinking, and it, it is true. We were in Vietnam there then, and you heard things about the war every day, just about. And uh, it, I did enough thinking that by a couple of years later, I asked the draft board, requested to get a CO status change, and uh, was surprised that they uh, went along with that because I thought they'd say, you didn't grow up in this kind of belief, and I thought there'd be a real problem, but anyway. Uh, and then I went into uh, BBS as my alternative service, and I was glad for that whole process. But Church of the Brethren, you know, definitely changed my thinking uh, totally about that. I was thinking it's interesting that you were asking Samantha about dad's status as a conscientious objector and how that affected her. Cause, uh, and she was thinking about his current service as an mm-hmm. Acres volunteer. And I was thinking about how it's all connected. So that value of not wanting to hurt people in a war and the value of valuing our environment and trying to help us through you know, preventing global warming as much as we can and taking care of the ecology that's around us. And then I thought of times that mom and dad were involved in resettling people who were immigrating from Central America and dad was the treasurer for the PQE group to work for equal opportunity for people of different races in schools and you know, there's just lots of examples of trying to, um, you know, support each, all the different people in our earth, and it's all kind of interconnected. So mm-hmm. I guess maybe one thing doesn't necessarily have to stand out over the others, but mm-hmm. there's a lot of ways the church guides a sense of, of morality and ethics and valuing of humanity and then individuals are thinking about how to do that in their actual lives and I was going to say um, dad was talking about how he was out of the church and then he came into the church and learned about uh, well thought more about why the military was bad I came up with a joke you know I like to think that I would have been an objector since I was born not because of the whole it's wrong thing, but because I like to object to a lot of things. <laughs> it does. And I think it's very healthy for families and communities to have the people who are skeptical of most things. That's good for it. Well, this is a really weird off-topic story, but I remember one of the first decisions I made when I was like three or four, 
was the most important decision of your life, of course, what your favorite color is going to be. Sure. I remember the teacher was like, okay, everybody, what's your favorite color? And I don't know what influences there were that made me make this decision, but I was like, okay, girls are supposed to like pink, so it can't be that. (laughs) But boys like blue, and if I want to be the opposite of what I'm supposed to be, blue should be my favorite color. So that's what my favorite color is. I would like to say for the record that Sam is wearing all blue. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> so you've got some stick to itiveness yes. along with your um, objector sense. Yes, objector sense. Yeah. yeah. Well, that's another one that Mom uh, always made sure to notice is that we were using inclusive language and that mm-hmm. women and Women had as much value as men or, you know, had value in the same ways. And so that was another ethical and moral mm-hmm. inclusion thing. That well, as the mother of two daughters, <laughs> it was really irritating when somebody would say to me, oh, you don't have any sons? And I'd be like, I've got two wonderful daughters. Why would you say that? <laughs> uh-huh. Do you remember back in the days of what's your favorite color questions, the question, what do you want to be when you grow up? I remember I would always, I was I was a very um, kiss-butt kid, so I would always tell the person, whoever it was, whatever their job was. Yes. <laughs> so when the preschool teacher was like, what do you want to be when you grow up? I'd be like, I want to be a preschool teacher just like you, whatever their name is. <laughs> But if it was, like, someone else, you know, if I knew what they did, and if I didn't know what they did, I'd say something like, I want to be a mechanic or something like that. Okay. Because that's what my dad was. Hmm. Or at least that's what I thought my dad was. I don't really know what my dad was now. Hmm. I kind of decided he was a mechanic. I think he worked at a coffee factory at nights hmm. sometimes. Well, in this family, there are a lot of heroes, like Craig's been a firefighter, which is about as classic hero as you can get, but nurse, teacher, social worker, these are hero professions. I I worked at Walmart during the pandemic. (laughs) (laughs) These are workers. Workers. They, they gave me a pin and everything. <laughs> they say you're a Walmart hero. It did. It did. And probably when you were in nursing, they didn't call you heroes all the time the way now. No. 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 <laughs> yes, they rarely called me a hero while I stocked to the shelves. Heroic, heroic, heroic days of the pandemic. I think my most heroic moment was when I put my thumb into a rotten potato and I didn't scream. Nice. <laughs> How would you end this, Carla? <laughs> I don't have any. No, rotten potato. Pretty good story. <laughs> well, I would say that. Knowing us all well, I know none of us are perfect. (laughs) And you can get all thoughtful about how, oh, yeah, it's nice to live your values. But, um, you know, even at work as a social worker, 
we get frustrated with each other and we are blind to different privileges and we are, you know, fallible and overly negative at times and such. So, you know, it's always an ongoing journey for Mm. each person to figure out how to best do their best living their values. (laughs) Very true. I thought of a more heroic moment than this. Okay. 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 There was this one time they had me taking out the old rotting watermelons with these watermelons. I dropped, I dropped the watermelon into the bin and it, it, it gushed and a little volcano of rotten watermelon straight all down me. You got, your, you got your hero cape dirty, didn't it? You did, yeah. 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 Your cape, my cape was dirty. But then that watermelon muck was your hero badge yeah. there you for go. the rest of the day. Well, the yeah. pin was obscured by the watermelon, so people couldn't tell I was being oh. a hero anymore. Tragic day, tragic, tragic day. <laughs> a great watermelon explosion in 2020. Thank you, Annalisa, for convening such a special conversation. And thank you to Sam and the rest of the Farley Smith Kilgore family for sharing your Church of the Brethren story. As inspiring as it was to hear many of the serious and significant ways that being Brethren has been so important to this family's life and legacy over the past several generations, I have to admit that my favorite part of this conversation comes at the very end when the family just can't help from giggling and laughing and simply enjoying the company of one another. What's such a simple pleasure to be able to listen in as a family just kind of submits to the throes of simply being together and loving every moment of it. I was moved listening to this conversation to recognize the simple joy of being part of a church community that makes up so much of this family's shared fabric of what it means to live a good and abundant life. It's that foundation that helps us make those heroic and hard choices in life from registering as a conscientious objector to serving as a nurse or a social worker to being an essential worker during the pandemic and dealing with a pile of rotten watermelon. But it's also at its core just about being human, not just in those heroic triumphant moments, but in the mundane and normal moments as well. As Annalisa put it, it's quite something to simply be known, to be seen and appreciated and embraced by a chosen family of people who share a similar set of values and a common devotion to God and the world and the world's people that God has created for us to be a part of. And not just to be seen, but to see. And not just to be appreciated, but to appreciate. And not just to be embraced, but to embrace. Not just to be known, but to know. What a gift it is to remember the humanity of everyone around us. That's what a church can do. Just like that's what a family can do. And so, what a fitting end for another Dunker Punk season. Asserting our own humanity and lifting up the humanity in others by simply sharing stories of faith and of life and of loving God by simply loving. Thank you, Dunker Punks, and we'll see you next season.
Thanks again for listening. The Dunker Punks podcast is a bunch of humans from across the Church of the Brethren who are doing our best to lift up the humanity in one another. This episode was created by Jacob Krauss, who creates our music and edits the show, Suzanne Lay, who manages production, and On Earth Peace, who sponsors the show. And we have to give a special shout out to Beacon Heights Church of the Brethren, our featured congregational sponsor this episode, as well as the rest of our wonderful congregational sponsors, Warrensburg Church of the Brethren, Living Stream Church of the Brethren, and Arlington Church of the Brethren. Our audio contributor this week was Annalisa Gross, and my name is Emmett Wachowski-Eldred. I'm one of the hosts of the show. You can find us online at arlingtoncob.org slash dpp and on Apple Podcasts where you can subscribe and leave a review. You can find and follow us on social media at DunkerPunksPod, and you can email us with any feedback or suggestions at dpp at arlingtoncob.org. Lastly, there are a lot of ways to get involved with the podcast. You can sign up for our newsletter on our website, and we hope you'll consider donating at bit.ly slash dpp underscore donor. Contributions go towards honoring the time and effort of our mostly young adult contributors to live into our commitment of honoring young adult voices. Thank you again so much for listening, and we hope you'll tune in again in the new year for a new season. We'll see you then.